Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's get to Victoria Green, CIO at G Squared Private Wealth, to take a look at uh, what happened today in markets. Uh, Victoria joins from College Station, Texas. Thanks for being with us, Victoria. It's kind of curious. I think 75 basis point rate hike was fully discounted. If there was a risk, it may have been on the possibility of the Fed delivering a larger move, 100 basis points. Was that a part of this, this move higher in risk assets today, a little bit of relief, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think people read into it and we see this as a knee-jerk rally similar to the June hike where we saw a big rally day of and then the next day we gave it back. We'll have to, to see what futures price in tomorrow. But I don't actually think it was very dovish. So 75 was fully priced in. We, we personally thought we should go 100. We felt the market could absorb it and the Fed could make up some ground on inflation because they've been behind the eight ball this whole time. But 75 was the, the status quo. Uh, market was ready for it. You know, the remarks were not really surprising. Everything was kind of status quo affirming we are still hawkish. I, I really feel like people read into some of the flexibility on the back end and what's going to happen in the fall as a little more dovish in the commentary really led to believe. So in my opinion, probably an overshoot today, most likely give it back because there really wasn't a change and we're still in a hawkish Fed and an economy that seems to be slowing down. Uh, I want to zero in on another thing that Jay Powell said uh, in terms of what's coming next. He said at some point it will be appropriate to slow down. Well, that's the sort of nice open-ended statement that you can really start speculating about, isn't it? Uh, when is what it is some, some point? point? Yeah. yeah, some point, right? Is that 22? Is it 23? Um, you know, what is a slowdown? Is it from 75 to 50? Is it 50, 25, 25? Is it 75, 50, 50? You know, that's such a subjective term. So I feel like that's being read into a little bit and overemphasized. You know, I can also say at some point I might be a billionaire and it's probably not going to happen <laughs> in the fall. You know, it's interesting, but we get the uh, second quarter GD print uh, tomorrow, the, the initial print. Today's data s suggest maybe that we're not going to see uh, much in the way of contraction. Durable goods orders, uh, unexpected gains, the trade deficit narrower than forecast, inventories, both wholesale and retail topping estimates. W what kind of print do you think we're going to see tomorrow? I tend to think it's going to be a, still a down print. Um, I think it's funny because I, I look at this and say, if we're arguing about the definition of a recession, we're probably in or close to a recession. Because if you get into the semantics of it, that means nothing good is happening and there is a slowdown. We'll see. You know, it was a supply, a surprise a little bit with durable goods. But if you look at what was going on at June 30, um, you know, that Q2 is a pretty ugly quarter, generally speaking, for production and consumption. And, and we got just eaten alive by mm. inflation, to be honest. Then, Victoria, we've been discussing the path ahead for the Fed. So in this environment, 
Where are you looking to put money to work at the moment? I, I guess it's fair to say things are a bit more challenging now than they were a year ago. <laughs> Just a little bit. And I think actually it's more challenging now than it even was in June because you're playing this game. Is this the rally rally? Is this a bear market rally? You know, what is the second half of the year going to bring? I'm still playing defense. I'm fully aware that, you know, we're watching earnings, especially Apple and Amazon on Thursday. You know, it's been very, very mixed. And we're concerned when you start doing the market math. So we want to play defense. We want companies with uh, strong cash flows, resilient cash flows, things that have been fairly good and a, a slowdown. Um, things like a Costco, your staples. I know they're a little expensive and there's nothing sexy about a consumer staple stock, but it is a good defensive play. And I think if you step back today and ask yourself what really changed in the world, nothing changed. You have all of these macro headwinds. I think the only thing that changed is everybody was so bearish that the market got bullish and that's a sentiment rally. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals. Um, so I look around and, and let's talk, let's talk the market math and why I'm still defensive. So let's say we get a 225 earnings on the S&P 500. That's still 8% growth. That's got to be driven by mostly, you know, your tech and your discretionary stocks because of the weighting. Um, if you put a 17 handle on that, that's a 38.25. So one of the questions is where does earnings end up? And the second question is what multiple is appropriate? And when you start putting that math together, this rally looks a little more tenuous than it does if you say, well, we got oversold. Yes, absolutely, we got oversold. How much legs does this market have? I'm not really buying it. I'm not chasing the high beta. I'm not chasing the high multiples yet. I think I still want to play defense. You know, we do like some of the oil and gas names. I love collecting my dividends right now. You know, $9,800 barrel oil is great for a lot of US E&P producers. So right now it's boring and I'm staying boring and I'm not ready to move off that position. I may be a little more aggressive if we see both Apple and Amazon buck the trend. I mean, Amazon's fighting Walmart and tech that or Walmart and Target excuse me, that had terrible earnings or Best Buy or any of these discretionary stores, I will be interested if Amazon can buck that trend. I don't think so. I'm a little bearish on their earnings, but they are a very, very profitable company. So are there opportunities offshore? Maybe we need to forget about the U.S. for a moment and consider uh, markets in Asia. Yeah, I think you've got a little bit. So China is one of those that their zero COVID policy does make it a little difficult for me to make an allocation there because it seems like they can just turn it on and turn it off. And so what's the demand? What's the GDP? You know, what does that look like for China? It's just such a very inconsistent growth story. Uh, you know, I think Taiwan and the semiconductor business, obviously, Japan and some of the tech that you can get into in Asia. I think it's, it's an interesting market. You know, one concern is typically a strong dollar is very difficult for emerging markets. So strong dollar is a headwind, strong commodity prices, historically for some emerging markets, is, is actually a good place to be. And we are seeing, even though we've seen metals pull back and you have seen a little bit of bust in the commodities, you know, do you trust Dr. Copper? Is that is that the signal we're going to be looking for? Because if that's the signal, then I'm, I'm going to stay in my U.S. large caps. When you consider Asia and opportunities offshore, uh, to what degree do you weigh in recession risk? Uh, I think tremendously. So if you look at, and say, you know, if America sneezes, who else gets sick? And it's, it's almost everybody. We're so interconnected now. And that's one of the concerns I have. Even resilient um, countries and nations, Europe looks like it's going to struggle this fall and winter. They're, they're going to have a bit of an energy crisis. The, the economic engine of Europe, Germany, is, is, is warning and, and really struggling and looking like it's going to hit recession first. That's going to drag down Europe. 
they're going to have this energy crisis is a real and, and present threat to their economies over there. So is it, I look at uh, and I say the biggest risk, I don't think, is a U.S. recession. It's a European recession that then kind of affects everybody. And once one of us slows down, it's very difficult for anybody else to, to keep above average growth because of, of, of all of this interconnected globalization. And while globalization has been on the downtrend and nationalization has been what the, the word of the last decade, basically, we are still very connected you know look at how much we we struggle when we have a port shut down mm -hmm. you know our supply chains are still very very interconnected so mm -hmm. is taiwan japan or australia going to be able to grow earnings right. i don't know Vic victoria we got to go victoria green cio at g squared private wealth thanks so much for joining us on bloomberg daybreak asia from silicon valley to wall street the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage but what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.